Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. From our respective abodes, it is the Masson All Access Podcast, brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. Paul Mancano, and as always, joined by Bobby Blanco here on the Masson All Access Podcast. Bobby celebrated what had to have been your weirdest birthday ever yesterday. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you were able to celebrate that birthday, Bobby. Yeah, turning 28 at home um, in quarantine was definitely a weird experience. It's kind of crazy to think back that like a month ago, celebrating my birthday in quarantine wasn't even on my radar. It wasn't even a uh, a far possibility. I thought that, oh, this will be blow over by the time my birthday comes. Like my birthday might be even one of the first times we can actually go out and celebrate. It'll be perfect. Not the case, obviously, but we made the best of it, man. It was actually a great day. Um, the weather was pretty nice. I was able to kind of hang outside for a little bit. Um, was able to support a local business and grab some breakfast bagels safely, of course, um, nice. nearby. And, um, my girlfriend, she's staying with me at my, at my parents' house, uh, to stay safe. And she went above and beyond the call, Paul. She put together a little scavenger hunt for me around my family's house, which included, uh, multiple FaceTimes with different groups of friends and, Came together at the end with a huge Zoom party with uh, my whole family waiting to hear from me. So that was really nice. That was really something special that I enjoyed. Wow. Um, she made, you know, what could have been just an ordinary day so spectacular, which was very awesome. And I appreciate her so much for that. So it was all in all, considering what it was, uh, a great birthday, far surpassed my expectations considering it was in quarantine. Um, yeah, not not too bad of a way to celebrate, uh, considering all things considered. That sounds like better than most of my non-quarantine birthdays. So that sounds like a good time there, Bobby. It was kind of like, I don't know if you're a Parks and Rec fan, Paul, or if anyone out there is a Parks and Rec fan, but you know how uh, Ron Swanson is kind of a character, like a, uh, a very obviously man- manly character. You know, he likes red meat and drinks whiskey and, you know, likes to make wood stuff, but he loves puzzles and scavenger hunts, <laughs> which is a funny thing. And He's like, no one ever does it for me, but Leslie does, and I love it so much. And no one's ever done anything like that for me, and it it is fun. It's so special. You know, you just kind of go around. She hid little clues across the house um, and had me do little, like, games and tricks and stuff and and call (laughs) friends. So it was real nice. It was cool. It was I've never – no one's ever done anything like that for me, so that was really special. That is very nice. Uh, While you were celebrating your birthday – well, the day before, technically, I was watching – uh, Dwight Smith Jr. play on MLB The Show. Did you Have you gotten a chance yet, Bobby, to watch any of the players-only tournament on the show? I have not tuned in. Um, I saw that Dwight did really well. I think he went 3-1 and one yesterday did. or did. whatever day it was, Monday night. Um, so, And I, I don't exactly understand. The, so they're playing four games a day in their schedule, whatever yep. it is, and they're only playing about three innings. Is that right? Three four inning innings? games. Uh, three inning games, and they're, they're it's like a round robin, so they'll play every guy, every other guy in the league. Yeah, um, uh, I so did hear. Uh, he, I did hear he went yard with Trey Mancini. He did twice, um, and twice. That's awesome. Yeah, no. So I'm not tuned in too much uh, to those games or really any of the like virtual like 
the NBA did the same thing with 2K. There was a Washington Wizards player on there, uh, a Wizards fan, but I didn't really tune into that either. I don't know. I I wish I was more of a gamer, and it's not that I I don't like video games. I just don't play them as much. Uh, but I also just can't get into like watching someone else play them. I would rather be playing um, and, and and like playing along. But um, I, mean, typically, uh, I, I have not. Typically, what? I'd agree, Bobby. This is uh, this is a special case, though. I mean, I, I'm not even a gamer myself, really, at all. Um, yeah. And and I'll tell you, I watched all four of those games, and I was yelling and fist pumping because I felt like I was watching an Orioles game. I yeah. maybe my uh, bar for entertainment value is way lower than it ever has been. Um, and I'm just desperate for something, but I'll tell you, I kind of got into these games. I'm usually I'm yeah. with you. Usually I, uh, I never watched Twitch. I don't, I had never gone on to Twitch before this. Um, but I'll tell you, I was, I was getting into it and, and I recently purchased a MVP baseball 2005 on my PS2 to nice. get me through this. So I'm resorting to any means necessary here. Yeah, I only have my I brought my N64 with me when I knew I was going to be in quarantine at my parents house and I have triple play baseball 2000, Ooh, I believe. Play. OK, um, it's like one of the last games that Cal Ripken is still on the Orioles. So that's cool. So I play that. I used to play that a whole bunch. I haven't played it yet, but I should probably break that out kind of soon because I am kind of losing like outside of work entertainment. Like, I mean, Megan, my girlfriend and I, we watch TV shows. We watch families together as a movie, but I'm kind of starting to itch for something like a, I need competition, you know, like we oh, actually yeah. just got a dart board, which is fun. So we're playing some darts, uh, but video games, I should probably start getting into that too. And then also that might get me more interested in watching uh, these MLB, the show games. When does Dwight play next? You know, Dwight plays what's today, Wednesday, tomorrow night. Uh, he plays another four games. I think the Braves are in there. Uh, a few other teams. It's, it's entertaining though. I'll tell you that much. That's the other thing too, though. They're at, they all play at nine, right? Like, yeah, I guess late. cause it's the West coast time, but that's a little late. Um, yeah. and by that time, you know, I'm usually already kind of set into what I'm going to be watching or how am I going to entertain myself for that evenings, yeah. but maybe I'll make time tomorrow night and catch out Dwight. See if he can go three and one or better again. Yeah, it was, it was pretty fun. Boba Shett called between games, uh, FaceTimed him, uh, with some advice. Uh, he homered as himself at one point. Uh, he threw That's a cool. three-inning perfect game. Um, he called Hunter Harvey um, uh, the Tiger King, a.k.a. Joe Exotic. Um, right. So it, 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 was, uh, it was a good time. Surprisingly good time, I will say that. Nice. Um, all right. Well, then, thanks for that. So I'll check yeah. that out. Um, all right. Got some baseball stuff today. Got a couple more 20 and 20s that we'll get to. D.L. Hall and Yusniel Diaz, some exciting Orioles prospects. But... A couple days ago, Mike Elias spoke with reporters via Zoom on, uh, it was, first off, hilarious to see a Zoom call with all of the writers in their various uh, places and and homes quarantined and to see all their backgrounds. Um, I found out Dan Connolly has a signed uh, Simpsons poster by Matt Groenig up in the background, so that was maybe the most exciting part of that. Um, That's pretty cool. But other than that, he had some updates on Trey Mancini, on the draft, uh, on where and when games could be played in 2020. But let's start with the best news of all, which was the news um, about Trey Mancini. Uh, He was very positive and uh, hopeful about Trey Mancini's ultimate comeback, as he described it. Take a listen. We've been in constant contact with with Trey Mancini. I talked to him this weekend, checked in with him today. I talked to his agent. Um, He's doing well. Uh, You know, he's got a major... Uh, procedure and a major life event um, and the recovery is is a long one and it's a serious one but his 
um, health status personally, um, the way that the operation went, um, and the kind of uh, demographics uh, age-wise and health-wise that he resides in going into this puts him in a really good spot to make 100% recovery, both from a general health standpoint, but also a, a baseball sense. But it is going to take some time. You know, he's going to be out for months rather than weeks. And I know he's looking forward to talking to you all and to his fans soon. And I, I'm sure he'll do that very soon and, and we'll provide some more personal ends of the details. But with us not knowing um, what or when this season will start and end, it's really hard for me to put the his um, recovery timeline in the context of the baseball season right now. But um, as I said earlier, it's going to be a months long process rather than weeks long, but we're, we're totally confident in the outcome and his eventual comeback. Yeah, that's great news. And that's something like with, you know, we kind of touched on this a little bit last week when we were talking about MLB's reported plan to play in just Arizona and how it put other players in danger and, you know, the thing about the coronavirus, everyone keeps saying it's that, you know, if you have underlying or health issues that you don't know about, you're at extreme risk uh, of, of getting sick and virus. And now Trey obviously has something different than coronavirus. But, you know, who knows the state of his immune system right now? He could be a lot worse than he, he is. He can be in a lot uh, worse situation. So it's good to hear that he's doing well. Um, it, it is kind of scary to think that there could it's going to take months to recover as opposed to weeks, but it's, that's, you know, it's kind of one of those things you have time now. <laughs> Obviously there's no rush. We're not playing baseball anytime soon. Take your time, get healthy, do what you need to do. Um, so that's a great update. Glad Trey is doing well. Um, and I hope he knows that everyone back here in Baltimore and baseball fans around the, the country are, are rooting for him and are happy to see him yeah. doing well. Yeah. I mean, I, I pretty much assumed, honestly, that it was going to take months. Um, it still hurts to hear that it's going to take months, not weeks, for him to recover. But um, still, I mean, the fact that he they're this confident that he's going to make a, a full recovery, and they said we're, we're very confident in his eventual comeback, um, that he'll be eventually back on the field, not just that he'll be in full health again, but um, they feel good about the fact that he'll be playing baseball again at some point, which um, is just great news. All right, Michael Elias also talked a little bit about how they are using this time as an organization to get themselves ready in other ways. They felt like they were, you know, still getting up to speed on everything technological within the organization. So they used this time to catch up a bit. We're trying to look on the bright side of being able to uh, take advantage of some of this time without games to hit the speed up button on some big picture projects that, um, you know, we had anticipated taking longer um, or that are usually confined to the off season um, because during the season, you kind of have this day-to-day flow of issues that land on your desk. Um, and amongst those are um, building our internal um, scouting and information analytics database, um, which uh, we have really ramped up and is, is um, basically up to industry standards at this point already, we believe. Um, but also putting together, um, I, we're putting together a player development manual online uh, with video, um, with uh, with uh, coaching literature, um, pulling all, all of our information from our video platforms into our scouting database. Um, and there's a lot to keep us busy right now. And then our most immediate item is now preparing for the draft. And, um, you know, we, we had 
we've launched a big uh, set of meetings this week with our scouting department and we had our, our first one today on that front. So we feel like we're in good shape there. But um, the bottom line is, yeah, as a, as a new administration and as a team that we felt, you know, was playing catch up a little bit in the infrastructure department and the uh, digital infrastructure department, we've been able to, I think, leverage some of this time a, a lot better than we would have otherwise. I thought it was interesting to hear Mike Elias talk about how they intend to put a virtual guidebook out there, essentially, and um, uh, basically load up a player's manual type thing with video, with instruction from coaches. I mean, that's that's good to have in general, but, I mean, they're going to have to get real creative in terms of making sure that players are um, staying up to date and that they're actually maybe developing a little bit, that they're learning a little bit during this time because so many of these young guys are young and they are inexperienced and they are needing this time with coaches maybe some kind of virtual guidebook or, or player's manual could help in this. Yeah, and it's also kind of interesting time, and we talked about a bunch about how the Orioles, this is new for them, kind of not just obviously the situation, but the whole way that they take information and, and apply it to players. You know, some of these players aren't used to these kind of numbers coming out of them and how they should be approaching not just baseball, but their fitness and exercising and, and their approach to the game and, and preparation. So it is kind of difficult to do that hands-on, you know, when you're, you know, in face-to-face and the player is maybe not really sure what's going on, but doing it from far away virtually is even tough, tougher. And uh, I'm impressed that the Orioles are able to put this together. I mean, it's probably something that, you know, every team maybe should have already, you know, kind of like, hey, in case, you know, kind of an off-season plan. This is basically an extended off-season plan now, right? So, uh, but, you know, you never think that you would actually need to do this or because you'd always expect, hey, if we need to, we can just you know, have the player come down to Sarasota and work out with them at uh, at the stadium complex. No, that's not the case anymore. So you need to find a ways to not only have guys practicing and training at their respective homes at a safe distance, but also checking in on them and making sure they're doing everything correctly um, to get reap the most benefits from these kind of practices. Exactly. I mean, their they're players obviously go to see individual swing coaches. They go to see individual mechanics coaches and all that kind of stuff during off seasons. But you always want to make sure that they're seeing the right people, that they're doing the right things, they're learning the right habits in a normal offseason. And especially now, um, it, you know, they're just, there are so many ways in which they could get off track or just lose their way or, or you know, maybe they're training with somebody and they're falling back in old habits, all this stuff. So making sure that they're staying, um, you know, technical and in a good spot mechanically. Um, in terms of the overall picture of baseball, though, Mike Elias also spoke about um, the importance of the game and coming back and why uh, he thinks, as he said, um, baseball will be ready for us when um, the world is ready for baseball. We're really trying to play, and um, the players want to play, and the league wants to play, but we're also, all of us, very mindful of what the priorities are right now, and, and that's um, public health. And so that topic is going to need to be addressed in a satisfactory way before um, you know we can conceivably play. But it doesn't mean you can't plan, start to think. And I like the fact that we're hearing ideas and um, that the, the people at the league offices and across sports are, are working on scenarios for baseball to come back this year, because we really want to do it. We want to be a part of, um, you know, returning to a feeling 
of normal life. Um, we think that sports will mean a lot to people, especially during this period of time to have something to follow, even though it's, you know, it's just sports and it's, it's entertainment. It's a very important part of our greater society really across the world. Um, and so I think it'll mean a lot when it comes back and, and we want baseball to be a big part of that. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can figure out a way to do it and, and do it the right way. Uh, of course, Mike Elias speaking about the idea that baseball holds a very special place and sports in general hold a very special place um, in the culture and in the hearts of, of Americans. And the sooner they get it back, the sooner that they can heal, you know, spiritual, they, spiritually, that we can get to a place where we feel like, um, you know, we are healing, we're getting back to normal. And as Michael I said, sports could be a big part of that. Yeah, and it's nice also to hear that, obviously, you can tell Michael Elias is itching to get back to playing ball. I'm sure all the players are, but he's saying and practicing the right things. You know, he's putting public he- safety and health uh, first and foremost, as opposed to putting players at risk just for the sake, or, and fans too, or anyone who works in baseball or sports, um, just for the sake of playing some games. Uh, we, we kind of trashed baseball in general Last last week with their reported uh, plan to play in Arizona as early as late May um, and that we just didn't think that was not only feasible, but not safe first yeah. and foremost. So uh, it was good to see Michael Elias also hear or, or say that, hey, look, we want to get back just like anybody else, but we have to make sure that the time is right for our player safety, our fan safety and everyone's safety. Um, before we actually even think about getting it. But he also was like, hey, we're having discussions. You know, there is yeah. talk. There's at least talk. So when that time comes, because, you know, who knows? <laughs> it's Paul. It's this thing's the whole thing crazy, but there's no end in sight. It could be in three months. It could be in three weeks. Who knows? Uh, so it's good that they're at least talking about it. That's kind of what I was saying last week of getting the ball rolling. Of ha- So when, whenever that time comes, they're ready to hit the ground running, um, and the Orioles seem like they're prepared for whenever that time does come to start playing baseball again. And then it gets into the interesting questions of what will happen when baseball comes back and what baseball might look like when it comes back, somebody asked Michael Elias during that video call yesterday about what he thinks baseball might look like if it does come back in 2020. Here's what he said. I think our first choice, all of us, will be to play with fans somewhere and, and up north versus down south. I think we'd all prefer to, to be at home, but this isn't a normal situation. So we're going to have to presumably take what we can get in it. And if, if something like that, as we've been reading about, if, if that's what comes first, um, yeah, I would think our, our spring training facility would be able to host major league baseball. Um, I mean, we do it, we do it in March and February under normal circumstances, but, um, you know, that's all just speculation right now. There's, there's, you know, I'm reading about this stuff in the media, like you guys, so this kind of ties into his last answer about the fact that baseball holds a very special place in America's hearts, and the sooner it gets back, the better. But the other thing is everybody, a lot of people, not everybody, have likened this situation to the situation following 9-11, where baseball was a big part of helping the country heal and helping everybody return to a sense of normalcy. However, that, those games were played in front of packed stadiums, it would be very strange to have games after this played in empty stadiums. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that a, a game in played in front of no fans that might have some rule changes with players wearing masks. It'll help 
in terms of entertainment value, I don't know how much exactly it'll help in terms of us getting back to a sense of normalcy because that will be nothing like any baseball game we will have ever seen. Yeah, I totally agree. It's not going to be as much normalcy as it is entertainment. You know, yeah. there's something to talk about. There's something to do. You know, we're actually seeing live com- competition um, and, and sport being played, which is, I think, I mean, in a, in a sense, on a, on a certain small level, there that's a sense of normalcy. But like you said, with different rule changes, without fans, that's not really normal. Yeah, it's maybe the first stepping stone, but uh, yeah, it's not going to feel the same. But it does give something. It gives fans to watch. It gives people in the media something to talk about. It gives players something to do. Comp coaches and front office people, personnel, scouts. You know, it it, just, it helps a whole bunch of people, obviously. Um, but in no way is it going to feel normal. Yeah. Um, it, if anything, it's going to be kind of interesting because then we'll always be able to look back on this time and be like, hey, remember that weird, wacky 2020 baseball season yeah. when they play with masks and stayed six feet apart in front of no fans? That was crazy. Um, so, yeah, it's not going to be normal, but it has a small sense of normalcy in the sense that there's at least competition and sport being played. And that would also probably come at a time where we're getting closer to not having to be quarantined all the time. And if they're being able to play baseball, probably means we're on nearing the end of this whole thing. And it was interesting to hear what Elias said about statistics in a year that is going to be shortened and how this is going to be a very different year all around. So pretty much any statistics you can gather from a shortened season like this, played in front of no fans, are going to be considered an anomaly. But... By the same token, I think everybody accepts that. So, you know, it's it's not like in 20 years we're going to look back at those statistics and, and I don't know, be angry about them or, or use them. You know, I think it's, it's the fact that their understanding for even the most strident baseball purists will understand that baseball in its pure sense will not have to be played if it's going to be played at all. So kind of letting go of some of the traditions just for the sake of these special circumstances. Yeah, you kind of have to I mean, you're going to have to link in it to a strike season. You know, I mean, yeah. it's not the same because baseball back then or in those seasons were played basically in the same way, in a normal way. It was just a shortened season but when it comes to stats and numbers and stuff like that. You just have to take and, and even winning championships. You know, it's like, yeah, you won a championship, but it was a shortened season. If you play that season out of 162 games, you really end up winning. Who, you, you'll never know. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe someone has a breakout year or. The other way around, they have a really bad year, but in a shortened season, is that really a true tell of who how who this player is? No. So it's gonna be you're gonna have to we're gonna have to be like really honest with ourselves when we look back at this year, whenever that time comes, um, and be like, man, this kid had a really breakout season, or this kid really struggled, but it was a shortened season. It was wacky circumstances. You know, you have to take it with a grain of salt and not really hold it against or for anybody. Um, Bobby, two weeks ago, we last couple weeks, we've been ripping MLB in general. But two weeks ago, I ripped them for the idea that there might not be a draft at some point this season. They eventually walked that back. So there will be a draft, what they agreed upon. It'll be as short as five rounds. No fewer than five rounds, but it could be more than five rounds. So Michael Elias, of course, got plenty of questions about the MLB draft and his thoughts on the potential changes. He seemed pretty happy with the idea that there will be a draft at all. Assuming we do have a shortened draft, which all indications are will be shortened somewhat. Um, you know, we're not thrilled about that uh, because we are trying to fill our minor leagues. Um, we feel like we 
do a pretty good job late in the draft historically. Um, kind of our, our group and our approach um, with some late picks, so we'll be missing out on that opportunities. But frankly, with everything that's going on, I, I from the Orioles' standpoint, I am uh, personally happy and, and relieved that we're going to uh, maintain our, our high picks, um, you know, that, that those opportunities will still be available to the club. Um, because we actually, if you look at it, with the draft order right now, we got four picks in the top 75, which is a lot, and we got three in the top 40, and then obviously we have the second overall pick. So, I mean, that's a huge draft, and if that if that were to have been taken away from us, that would have been quite a blow. So, um, I'll take that. I think, you know, given the circumstances, um, even a shortened draft, you know, it's going to be a, a tall order to prepare for. So we'll just focus on on doing a great job with those high picks. Look, for the Orioles, this draft is of pretty much the utmost importance, um, simple, not simply because they have the second overall pick, but as Michael Ice alluded to, they have three picks in that top uh, 40 or 60-ish 40 range, um, and they have five picks in a small group of uh, a small window in the top 100, pretty much. So they are very much um, looking forward to this draft. And while they will not get to make picks in all 40 rounds, most likely, um, I think they're pretty happy with the idea that they are retaining their most important picks in a draft that for them is of the utmost importance. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it, it is, it is sad to see this happen. I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago too, Paul. This affects everybody, not just the Orioles. Every team is going to have to go through this. Every team is going to have a shortened draft. Um, every college player or high school player that is looking to enter the draft and hopefully get selected is going to be affected by it too because there's only going to be a certain amount of picks actually taken. Um, you know, you're going from a 40-round draft to possibly only five so that's a fraction of what it normally is, is a fraction of the players actually being selected. So it's not just the Orioles and the Orioles organization that has to go through this. Every team has to go through this. But, yeah, it is a shame because we have seen Michael Elias have really good success in those later rounds and, and, and finding players that they like to stack the minor leagues. And in the second year of a rebuild, that's obviously critical. And he alluded to that, too, that, the, you know, this is a critical time for us and it's a shame that it's coming. But at the same time, it's happening to everybody. So whoever... It's not just the Orioles being set back by this. You know, the Tigers are going to go through the same thing when they have the number one pick. Uh, the Mariners, the Marlins, everyone's going to be set back by this. Um, even the teams who aren't rebuilding are going to be set back by this. So that's something, I guess, to keep in mind when we get to the draft. I agree with you. I'm glad there is a draft. There's no reason. I don't think there shouldn't be. If the NFL can do a draft virtually, I'm sure baseball can too. Their draft is pretty much virtual anyways um, from previous years. Uh, and you know what? You can even watch the NFL draft next week. It's a week from tomorrow. Um, see how they do it and build upon it. You know, make it better. Make it a more better spectacle for fans to watch. Um, get fans to tune in. So I think having that event in and of itself is good enough. Uh, even though a shortened event uh, does set a team like the Orioles back at least a year. Yeah, and Michael Elias did mention that. The fact that the NFL draft is being held virtually. And he said he has been in contact with several members of the NFL organizations, maybe the Ravens, who knows, uh, about how they are preparing to conduct a draft uh, online. It's, um, it's been really interesting. You know, the, the NFL um, is preparing for the draft right now, and I've talked to some front offices in the NFL, um, and they're having to do it over Zoom um, and over conference calls. 
um, on a much tighter time frame. And they have the added element of having, being able to trade picks during the draft. And so they're having to make a lot of really big decisions. And it's, it's really different for them. Um, but it's something that we, you know, we can kind of pull it off nowadays. There's really um, good technology platforms. Um, we can share screens. We can look at video together. We can talk. Um, it hasn't been too bad. And I feel like I've been saying this. I feel like we're as well uh, set up for this as um, any scouting department because uh, we've got a staff that prioritizes putting um, work in over the summer showcase circuit, the Cape Cod League, um, working into the fall, getting our ducks in a row in the fall and the winter time. And then we also have a dedicated team of analysts in the front office that work on the draft. And those guys do it uh, from video and data, even without the situation. So we kind of have the infrastructure in place um, to do things that way, to evaluate players that way. And obviously now we're having to rely on that a little bit more than we'd like to because we're not getting live games. So it's interesting, but um, we definitely think we're going to be able to pull it off. Um, and, um, you know, it's not like we're in in um, foreign waters in terms of uh, evaluating players this way. You alluded to it, Bobby, the fact that the MLB draft pretty much has been on a conference call, um, <laughs> you know, for its entire history. It's only very recently that they've started to put the first round on TV and even then has not been a huge spectacle. So, think that they are pretty much prepared for this draft and if anything it'll be easier to conduct simply because it's only going to be as it, you know could be five rounds as opposed to 40. Right and, and he also said you know we have the technology it's basically the way it's been done up to this point anyways and look Paul if you and I can send a wire from our TV truck underneath Camden Yards, across above Utah Street, and through a window in the warehouse so you can talk to Adley Rutschman after he selected by the Orioles number one overall last year, I'm pretty sure baseball can do a Zoom conference draft in some way or form. Uh, if Matt and Alexis can do it, I'm sure MLB can pull it off some way. That's that's a great way to look at it, Bobby. But it, it, honestly, I'd see it as the other way around. If MLB can pull it off, we can pull it off. Um, all right. Finally, uh, from Michael Elias' press conference, he talked about the p- type of players that might be drafted in a shortened draft and how that might affect the draft pool as a whole. The idea that certain players who might have been selected in previous years might have to wait an extra year in a shortened draft. It's, it's going to be tough for uh, colder weather players to get noticed this spring if they didn't make an impression this summer or fall um, you know, with a shorter draft conceivably um, it might be fewer high school players that sign, but when you look at the statistics of the draft, it's almost like 90% of the high school players that sign end up going in the top five rounds anyway. So if if we only have a five round draft, maybe it won't look so much different. Um, So we'll just have to see, but yeah, it's, it's hard to think that this will be exactly the same as other draft patterns. Michael Elias also touched on the idea that, because there is going to be a cap of $20,000 on undrafted free agents. He doesn't see a free agency frenzy taking place after the draft is held, which is the intention of MLB. They don't want a free agency frenzy for these guys to give different teams uh, an advantage that might they might not have in the draft. So it's pretty much going to be five, ten rounds, whatever it is, that's going to be the number of players that enter the minor leagues. Yeah, and I also think it was interesting that he said there's, we're probably not going to see too many high schoolers uh, 
be selected this year, which obviously makes sense. You know, they don't have enough tape or ex- high level experience, you know, more so. I mean, we talk about this all the time. The difference between the baseball draft and any other draft, because there's so many picks, you don't have to put so much stock into each player. Obviously, when you have a high selection in the first round, like the Orioles do, you put a lot of stock into that selection. But, you know, in the later rounds, you know, in the close to 40 rounds, you, you don't have to put too much. It's more so restocking the system. It's just adding bodies to your system and you can reload, you know, in the Orioles case, it's you can load up on pitchers and up the field, up the middle fielders, you know, uh, second baseman, shortstop and center fielders, position players that they like and catchers, obviously with Adley Rutschman. Um, but in this scenario, you're, you're not gonna be able to do that. You're gonna have to put way more value in each pick that you take. Cause I think you said earlier, the Orioles are, if, if the draft is going to be set up the way that it's being reported of only five rounds. The Orioles will only have about four picks. Those, you have to make really tough decisions on who those p- four picks are going to be. You probably have a good idea. Like we talked about who's going to be number two overall. That probably wouldn't change anyways. Uh, but then those three, four or five picks, that's going to come into come into. Uh, there's going to be some tough discussions because you're going to have scouts who really like this guy and you don't know if he's who's going to be available or who's going to who else could take him where what positions do you value the most uh, where you want to restock how close is this kid to maybe making an impact at you know the double a AA or triple a level yeah. and then you know what what's his impact on the major league roster eventually going to be so it's going to be interesting that's going to be the most tricky the trickiest part for Michael Elias and, and GMs all over baseball when it comes to the draft is where do they find value um, and how they're going to evaluate kids when they didn't have a full season to play this year, obviously, or, or a barely season at all. So it's going to be interesting. And, you know, kudos, honestly, to the few high schoolers that do get selected. I mean, that means those are some real good ball players that are going to be taking this shortened draft, having only a couple of years of high school ball underneath their belt. Uh, that's going to be impressive to see who gets taken out of the high school ranks this year. And I think maybe the most important factor in terms of making these selections might be the signability of these guys because if you have only have four or five picks and one of those guys ends up not signing that's a huge blow so maybe just making sure that you have these guys in your pocket and they are going to put pen to paper once you draft them um, because if you lose one or two of them they decide to go back to school after you drafted them there goes half your draft pool Uh, All right, Bobby, let's get into the guys that are already in the Orioles system. Two guys on our 20 and 20s, which is a series that we are doing during this hiatus as we look at 20 guys in 2020 and beyond within the Orioles organization. And let's touch on D.L. Hall, the lefty, 21 years old. He's the number three prospect in the Orioles system. Last year in Frederick, up and down year, had a ton of strikeouts, but also a ton of walks. Next year could be a big year in terms of his development. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we kind of figured last year might have been a big step, too. He, he had some impressive numbers last year, but it's the injuries and kind of the fluky injuries, too. If you remember, I don't know if Orioles fans remember, but he did pitch in the Futures game at the All-Star break. Um, that's the event that they play on Sunday, I believe, of the All-Star game or the All-Star week uh, just to kick things off before like a celebrity softball tournament. And then he got hit by a broken bat or something. It, 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 it was just kind of a fluky thing. Um, health is going to be his biggest question mark. And it's unfortunate that we feel like we say that every other guy that we talk about on this, on in this series, and we're going to, obviously it's going to come into a big factor with our next player. We talk about this on this podcast as well, but for DL hall, he has the stuff. I mean, if he's got a fastball that touches 98, almost 99, he can maybe hit triple digits on occasion. 
man, that, that that'll play. And a left-handed guy. We talked about how the Orioles for a long time didn't really put too much stock in left-handed pitchers. The most recognizable starting pitcher in in the system probably was Wei and Chen all those years ago. Uh, and now, obviously, you have John Means at your frontline starter as a left-hander. Uh, so DL Hall is one of those guys that they're hoping to become maybe a, a mid-rotation guy. Obviously, uh, Southpaw helps a lot. Um, he's got really great stuff, but can the health stay there? Can he avoid these fluky injuries and keep progressing? And and in a shortened season, whatever they end up getting back to playing ball, he'll be even set back even further because this was going to be a rebound year almost or kind of adding on after he had a, a pretty solid year in 2019 that kind of got cut down by injuries. Uh, but now with a shortened season, it's almost like he's getting set back two years. Yeah, you mentioned him getting hit by that broken bat in the Futures game. You only pitched one inning and somehow found a way to get hit by a broken bat. Um, very fluky. He also was shut down with a little less than a month left in the season because of an oblique injury. Um, but look, the, the talent is all there for this guy. He's the number three prospect in the Orioles system. You see his stats from Frederick last year, 19 games, 4-5 and five record, 3.46 ERA, 116 strikeouts, but it's that walk rate that was a little bit too high last year. Um, he had, he's got four pitches, basically, a fastball that touches 98 miles an hour. Uh, he's got been developing a changeup, which we talked about with him and Frederick, that is all the way, he said he can reach back and throw that thing uh, as hard as he can, it'll it'll only go 83 miles an hour. And he's got a curveball and a slider that he's all developing. So uh, really, if he can just hone that, I mean, his control has been kind of uh, something that scouts have harped on, and it shows in terms of his numbers. He actually had a higher strikeout rate, 12.9 strikeouts per nine than Grayson Rodriguez did. Um, but it's just getting those walks down at this point. In terms of his scouting report, his fastball is scouted as a 60 on a uh, 20 to 80 scale. All of his other pitchers are 55. It's just the control um, is down to 45. So maybe if he gets to double-A buoy, and they're a team that, you know, had a ton of success last year in terms of developing starting pitchers between, you know, uh, Zach Lowther, Alex Wells, um, Michael Bauman, maybe he can help bring some of his other stuff along and um, make that control up to par with where his quality of pitches are. Yeah, absolutely. And you say the high strikeout, right? That's obviously great to see. And uh, probably a huge tribute to his, his really strong fastball, but you mentioned his other off speed stuff that are just a little, a notch graded a little lower, um, especially his, and that probably comes from control and that probably alludes to his high walk rate. And you want to see that go down. Hopefully as he gains more control of those off speed pitches and are able to use those as out pitches, um, that walk rate will kind of will will go down while the strikeout stays the same. You know, if your fastball is already 98, it's not too much to build on in terms of velocity. You're probably just working on placement and, and when to use it and setting guys up for your off-speed stuff. That's something DLL is going to have to learn over the course of this season, next year, um, and a trip to Bowie and and maybe even Triple A Norfolk in in a year or two will help him a lot with that. And hopefully that control improves. So his off speed stuff improves and, and he can really work off that fastball and get guys out and, and walk fewer batters. Yeah. In terms of starting spot, I do have Bowie down as my potential starting spot for him. If 2020 were a normal season, I think, a, you know, the, the injuries were one thing, um, but eventually he did settle down, uh, you know, over his last 12 starts, he had a 2.5 ish ERA. So the struggles in terms of, um, his actual on-the-mound struggles were pretty much earlier in the season. So if I'm a front office, if I'm the Orioles front office, I see his 
his strides being enough to promote him to Bowie right off the bat. Right. And and you mentioned back to the sorry, back to the strikeout rates, but you mentioned how he struck out he had a higher strikeout rate than Grayson Rodriguez, who you said last week struck out more batters than John Means yeah. in way fewer innings. So that's obviously a good pace for DL Hall if he's striking out guys at a rate uh equal or better to Grayson Rodriguez and John Means. But again, it's just that control. Hopefully uh Bowie he learns a little more. Uh obviously they have a they were stacked and their rotation did really well last year. If he can cement a place and, and buoy whenever baseball gets back uh, sometime this season, that would be a good spot for him where he can maybe slide into the middle, maybe later part of the rotation because Bowie's stacked. We talked about how there might be a log jam for starting pitching, which is crazy to think about for the Orioles, but a log jam of starting pitching in the minor leagues between Bowie and AAA and, of course, the major leagues uh, who he gets called up. So if he if Deal Hall is able to find his way onto the Bowie roster at some point this season, I agree. I think that's probably will be his starting point if he ha- ends up having a good re spring training um, and, and, and remains true. Look, he's the number three prospect for the Orioles for a reason. He has the quality stuff. It's just a matter of getting to that point, um, and hopefully, just over time, he gets to there. And in terms of an ETA, I was a little bit conservative here. I had twenty twenty two down as an ETA, um, even if twenty twenty were regular season. I think. You assume maybe 2020 he's in Bowie, maybe 2021 he's in Norfolk. I think they're going to give him his time uh, before he gets to uh, the major leagues because he's still only 21. So, you know, no need to, to try to rush him through the system, obviously, and get him up to the majors by 2021. Yeah, and you want to build that arm strength up. Again, we talked about the, the crazy injuries. He also battled an oblique injury late last season. Um, he just probably, if anything, needs innings. You know, he yeah. just needs to build up that arm strength, get some more innings in the minor leagues under his belt. There's no rush, like you said. So 2022 is probably a good target date. Um, I wouldn't expect him anytime next year or uh, if we get to some sense of normalcy anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, it, it, when he gets his innings, he builds up that arm strength, is able to go a full season without while staying healthy and, and improving on his off-speed stuff, we should see him in Baltimore in a couple of years. All right, next up is another guy who struggled with injuries and honestly one of the more fascinating prospects in the Orioles system. That'd be outfielder Yusniel Diaz. He's the number seven overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, within the Orioles system. He's fallen out of a lot, a lot of top 100s recently uh, in terms of his uh, overall standing in baseball and their prospects. Uh, back when, you might remember, he came over from the Dodgers organization in the Manny Machado trade, of course. He was the centerpiece of that trade. Back when he was signed by the Dodgers, the Dodgers laid out $31 million to sign him because he was $15.5 million to sign, and then they incurred a 100% penalty to sign him out of Cuba. So they ended up paying basically $31 million to sign him. That's how high they were on him. Um, he honestly... Was viewed by many as a as a five tool guy. You know he has all five tools, and they're all pretty good. But so far, we've seen just good amounts of each of them. We have not seen any one be a breakout. And at this point, you might need to start to see him develop extra power, him develop extra speed on the base pass, him become a plus fielder because right now he's just pretty good at everything. Um, and it might not be enough to, you know, kind of uh, ri- get him to rise through the, the Orioles system. Yeah, and you mentioned how highly the Dodgers thought of him. I mean, I'll talk about all that money you're giving to a teenage prospect out of Cuba, and the Dodgers have consistently the best, if one of the best, if not the best, farm systems in all of baseball. 
Um, so, and you know, the, the fact that they thought so highly of this kid means he's got talent. There's something there. Um, you know, Daniel Kett was able to get him in the Manny Machado trade and the Dodgers were chasing a championship. They needed a shortstop and a power bat. Obviously, Manny was on the block that year. And Yusinel Diaz was the main guy, you know, the, the headline name in that trade coming back to Baltimore. We kind of gave him a pass for that season. It was kind of sluggish start and buoy uh, for that second half of that season because, you know, you are transferring systems, you're transferring coasts, you know, coming from west to east. Um, so let's give him a year. But last year, it's the health injury. It's the inconsistency. And like you said, he's projected as a five-tool guy. I mean, I remember our first trip to Bowie, and he looked like a kid, a, a man playing amongst mere boys. I mean, the guy is absolutely massive, freak, freakishly athletic, does not look like he belongs at the double A at all. And even when we went back for the playoffs, it's, it, you know, and we talked about it too, I think at the time, he was hurt. And was only, I think only able to DH, wasn't able to play in the field. But had he been able to play in the field, Bowie might have been able to win the championship uh, because they could have slot someone else in that DH spot. But the inconsistency, the injuries are really holding back Houston L. Diaz from being a top guy. Like you said, he's fallen off a couple of top 100 boards, top uh, prospecting boards. Um, but he has the potential to be there. You know, the Dodgers thought so highly of him. The Orioles, I guess I know it's a former regime, but they thought highly of him to be the main guy in the Manny Machado deal. It's just a matter of it all come to fruition. Can he put together a, a long, healthy season and sustain success over the course of that year at a high level uh, yeah. and not just be the 260 hitter that he was last year? Can he be higher? Can he hit for more power, hit a couple more home runs? Uh, that's the kind of guy the Orioles are expecting out of him. Yeah, he played the vast majority of his games at Bowie, a couple of games on the lower levels just to get back from injuries. He did have hamstring and quad injuries in 2019. Here is cumulative stats, 265 average, 11 homers. He's hit exactly 11 homers each of his past three seasons, which is strange, but he's played in fewer and fewer games each of those seasons, which is good and bad. Uh, 55 RBIs and 805 uh, OPS for Yusniel Diaz. Uh, he has the speed to be a good base runner, um, but only has a 42% stolen base success rate. So he doesn't exactly know when or how to steal bases. He has the speed to do it. It's just, there's an art form to stealing bases. Um, he, you know, it, it, he has always shined on the big stage. That's the other thing about Yusniel Diaz. He hit a home run in the Eastern League playoffs while he was DH. He the last two springs has shined with the Orioles in spring training. He's hit 304 with the Orioles in spring training um, over those past two seasons. He, way back when the Orioles traded for him, everybody was talking about his futures game performance in which he hit two homers in that game and was the basically the MVP of that game. So he always shows up on a big stage. It's just getting that consistency. He has to play every day, first off with injuries, but the consistent production is something that he needs at this point. I feel like it's, he's one of those players that we've seen, we see what you can do against inferior opponents. Let's see what you can do at a higher level. You know, let's make the jump to Bowie. You, you mentioned the home run numbers that continue to, to increase, even though he's playing lesser games due to injury. Imagine if he stays healthy, those and goes to triple a where, you know, we talked about how the home run numbers were up across the board last year, triple a, obviously in the major leagues as well. Let's see when he gets to that level, if those continue to skyrocket um, and, and continue to live up to that expectation. But yeah, the five tools, he's an exciting specimen. He's, he's a marvel to look at athletically. Uh, can he, and, and we're not even talking about his defensive abilities yet. I mean, he has the ability to be a, a high level defensive outfielder, 
but we've seen him make a couple of mistakes even in right field. I mean, he they, he's been you know they projected him to be a center fielder. They at once people were thinking that he would be taking over for Adam Jones in center field in Baltimore, and now Bowie has him playing in right field because they can't trust him in center field. He makes t- a couple of too many errors. He has the arm power to to play the outfield in the corner, but can he feel the ball well? That's a question mark as well. Even though he has all that speed, and you mentioned the speed, then translates also to on the base pass gets caught stealing too much. All it just seems like he needs to put the pieces together. Hopefully, a full, and obviously the shortened season doesn't help. But like you said, he played really well at the start of spring training. That looked like to be a good sign. Um, if we get to back to playing baseball at some point this year, maybe he gets into a rhythm and shows what he can do with a double A level. Get the triple A maybe later in the year or early to start next season. And I would hopefully expect. I mean, he should be on the path to be in Baltimore by 2021. That's probably his estimated date of arrival from the beginning. Can I, this obviously coronavirus situation throws everything up in the air, but I think that's still a realistic possibility for UCL Diaz if he puts it all together and, and come, becomes the complete five tool ball player that everyone thought he w- he was going to be. Yeah, I have ETA is 2021. I have a starting spot at Bowie just because of the few at-bats he got in, in Bowie, and I think that a call-up to Norfolk would be very possible. Of course, this is all if 2020 were a normal season, but I think in, right. in theory the Orioles would have liked to start him in Bowie, made sure he can be healthy, made sure he can be productive, hit a little bit more than 265, then call him up to Norfolk once he proves that, and then it, ideally get him up to Baltimore in 2021. All right, two yeah. exciting prospects that we just talked about, D.L. Hall and Yosniel Diaz. We've got some more coming we're just about four or six. I don't even know how many into these 20 in 20s uh, of the baseball's hiatus. So, Bobby, thanks so much for joining us. Bobby underscore Blanco with an at sign before that on Twitter. I'm at Paul Mancano. Um, of course, the Mass and All Access podcast is brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. We hope that from wherever you're joining us, we hope that you're safe, you're healthy, you're with your family and that you're doing okay, and and hopefully we're all getting through this at some point. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.